I told you a little bit about this, but India, um, you know, they still have kind of an operating caste system. And so these two kids um, are, just, are just beggar kids. They, they beg for a living, that's what they do. Um, and there's usually some older gentleman somewhere taking all the money that you give them. So uh, the, the, the problem is, is if you talk to them, they won't leave you alone. So the, the, the kind of the thing to do is you just, you just kind of ignore them, right? Um, but the problem for us as Christians is, is what do we do? What do we do? What would Jesus do? <laughs> that old cliche saying, what would Jesus do in this context, in this situation? And that's the question that Tyler is trying to answer. That's uh, the missionary over there. And, um, and he, one of the things you can do that really gives somebody dignity and honor is you say, you look them straight in the eyes. You know, here in, a, in, in the West, it's kind of like, kind of awkward if you look somebody straight in the eyes. But so look them straight in the eyes and talk to them and you give them dignity and you give them honor. And so we were just there to, to like buy some bread and a few things we needed for dinner, but um, ended up taking way longer than, than it was supposed to. And he, we talked with these kids and we hung out with them for almost the whole time and gave them dignity and honor. There was also another story he shared about uh, some other kids and they kind of ran into him, they bumped his chest and then out of reaction, he grabbed his pocket and there was a little bitty hand inside of his pocket. And as they were walking away, he, he turned at him and he looked right at him and he said, hey, and he pointed at him and every, got everybody's attention around, and he, what he was doing was he was shaming them, but he was still speaking to them. You know, he, what he's saying is, shame on you, you know better than this. And in both places, he's identifying them and giving them dignity, yeah. even though it's shame, yeah. right? right. Um, also, ever since we went to India, we were able to use our phones because T-Mobile is awesome, but Ever since then, we've been getting uh, like telemarketer calls, and our social security number has been compromised 800 times since then. So, um, Laura got a phone call, and I'm so proud of her for doing this. But uh, you know, it's like an automated message, and it's like if you want to talk to them, press one. And she, so she's like, I'm going to talk to them. And when she spoke to him, this guy, this random Indian guy, you know, and. and the con artists and telemarketers over there just work in a big building for some corporation. It's not like in America we have one guy living in his living room scheming and plotting. You know, it's like it's not that. It's very industrialized. And uh, she answers the phone and she goes, "What you're doing is wrong. Shame on you. You're worth more than this. I'm gonna pray that you get a better job so you don't have to do this for a living. I'm gonna pray to God for you." <laughs> She, had, she spoke to him, not about the situation, but she spoke straight to him about the situation and gave him dignity, in a sense. <laughs> so the kindness of Christ, I think the basis and the very basic character of Christ begins with his obedience, his obedience to God, his Father. And... Uh, it's a great story about this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, we all probably know it. 
It's when Jesus is a boy. He's, well, he's 12 years old. And he goes to the temple. And he's teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. And um, well, he's, they're asking questions back and forth. And, um, and they're astounded by him. And his parents lose him. And they come back. And then they tell him, hey, come home with us, right? Now, there's some things that are very important here that we sometimes miss. Jesus' response to his mother is, why did you look for me? I am about my father's business. Now, this indicates to us a couple of things. First, that he knows that his father is not Joseph. He knows that it's God, right? So he, so he knows who his real dad is. And he knows what his purpose is. Yet, it says in the scriptures that he subjugated himself to his parents and grew in stature and whatever. For 18 years, for 18 more years, he served his family and he, he honored his father and mother. So from this we can infer that to honor your father and mother is not just a, a physical command. But it's an eternal one. Yes. Good. Jesus always honors his father in heaven. And he also fought, honored his father and mother on earth. So he was obedient. And we look at the rest of his life. When he did miracles, he said, I'm only doing as my father in heaven is doing. I'm only, um, I do nothing that he has not commanded me to do. He was obedient to the point of death. Jesus held nothing back from his obedience. He held no comforts for his own. He held nothing back from his obedience. Everything was on the table for Jesus. Everything was. Love requires obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, Jesus obeyed the Lord because he loved him. Jesus obeyed his parents because he loved them. And that love was not just for his parents, but it would, it would carry him to the cross. We want to look at, next we want to look at the compassion of Jesus. Um, first I want to look at, at the story with the leper and how he treats the individual. It says Jesus looked on him with compassion. And that's such a, I don't know, what, what it says in the Hebrew is that he, he looked at him uh, like from his bowels. And that's a really weird saying to us, but what it means is like from the depth of emotion, the strongest emotion you can feel. You know, we say things like, I feel it in my bones. You know, I love him or her with my whole heart. I've got butterflies in my stomach. It's this sort of language. It's I feel it so deeply that I must do something about it. Right. Compassion is not sentiment. Sentiment is something like this. There's a, there's a story of a woman uh, who killed her husband and she's on trial. And the jury is out waiting and they, and they won't convict her because there's this one woman who will not vote for her guilt. She keeps voting for her innocence. And they asked her, why do you keep voting for this woman's innocence? She's like, well, I feel bad for her, she being a widow and all. <laughs> she had compassion for the wrong thing. Her compassion was not based on reality. 
Sentiment is never based in reality, but compassion is, and compassion requires action. There's another story um, of two men. They died on the same day, a few hundred yards from one another, one in a valley and one on a hill. The man in the valley was Judas. Now Judas was chosen by Jesus himself. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He went preaching and teaching and healing people in the name of Jesus Christ. He was an apostle. But we see some other things about Judas. First, we know that he kept the books and he took a little bit off the top for himself. He started to become a little bit selfish. And then we see him betray Jesus for more money. And then we see him become cold, colder and colder. Um, he takes bread and wine from the, from the hands of Jesus, knowing what it means. And then he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A kiss. A very intimate, passionate thing that is supposed to mark you as friends. And Jesus looks at him and said, Judas, I know, I know you were going to betray me, but did you have to do it with a kiss? And uh, David Pawson says, you know, Judas has, has the, has the, uh, the worst epitaph in the whole Bible. Because it says that Judas hung himself and the rope broke and his bowels spilled out. What it's saying is he became so cold-hearted and all of his emotions were turned inward upon himself that he couldn't live with himself anymore. There's another man who died on a hill. This man was Jesus. And as he's carrying his cross to go die on Calvary, and the Jewish women cried for him. He said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and cry for your children. When, when the man beside him was worried about dying, he said, he didn't, he didn't fill him full of sunshine and rose. He says, no, you're going to die, but you're going to be with me in paradise. He's suffering, and he's, he's dying, and he looks at his mother, and he says, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. His emotions were never spent on himself. They were always poured out on somebody else. I don't know about you, but it just makes me want to repent. For being selfish and self-centered with my emotions, with my feelings. But you see, Jesus doesn't want you to just simply imitate his compassion for people. He wants to be compassionate through you. He wants an indwelling of himself in you. So that he can love through you. And thirdly, Jesus was honest. No man on earth has ever been as honest as Jesus. The truth went right down to his very being. That is why he's so offended by hypocrisy. That's why it made him so mad. Because he, he's, he's the authentic man. His favorite name for himself was Son of Man. I'm the man you all were supposed to be from the beginning. Right? His authenticity was, was down to his bones, down to his spirit. Um, he was honest in word, but also in deed. If he said something, he did it. You know, there was nothing... 
you know, it's, it's really cool that he always preached before he did miracles. You know, not the other way around. Or, or yeah, one or the other. Um, did you know that, that in the U.S. today there's $75,000 worth stolen every minute? And that over 60% of crimes go unpunished. That's incredible. That's like 30-something billion dollars a year. So it does pay to be dishonest. <laughs> I mean, crime pays, if you look at that. It's, a, it's like a $35 billion industry. I'm just saying, don't do it, but <laughs> it does pay. But those sense of the Spirit of the Lord, like William Booth. William Booth got saved because he stole a pencil. And the preacher was, was preaching that night about thou shalt not steal. And he said, he described his pencil as burning a hole in his pocket. And he couldn't wait till the sermon was over so he could go repent. If we're sensitive to the spirit of the Lord, I hope that we act the same way. Yes. yes. So with all of these statistics, it's like... It's no wonder we don't trust anybody. We don't trust politicians or lawyers or journalists or anybody. It is, it is, is this why we should stand for the truth. Why it's not only important to just say that we're Christians, but to be Christians, both in our, in our jobs and in everything. We should be men and women of integrity. To be a Christian in this world is becoming easier and easier. You don't have to be a crazy person shouting on the street corner. You just have to tell the truth and be honest and be authentic. But Jesus wants you to be peculiar and he wants you to stand out from the crowd. You know if a Christian runs the business because you can trust that business. You can trust that hotel. You can trust that restaurant. To not charge you extra, to not try to scheme and plot and try to get every extra cent out of you because they just, they're honest. They're honest people. And they don't have to say it. You know, there's like honest Joe. And honestly, I mean, for real, we always say these things because people can't trust what you say. People are so unwilling to trust us. That is why it's important that we're men and women of our word, just as Jesus is. And Jesus is still honest to this day. Yeah. If you're not hearing from the Lord, I dare you to pray this prayer. Lord, show me what's wrong with me and how to change it. Wow, that's good. My bet is that if, if you're honest with the Lord, he will be honest with you and he will answer you quickly. So many of us are afraid to pray this prayer because we're afraid of being exposed. If only... We're exposed to ourselves and to the God who already knows. Yes. It's silly to withhold or to lie to ourselves or to the Lord. Jesus always speaks the truth in love. And I want to talk about the woman at the well. And um, this woman, uh, I asked my wife if I could... I think we talk about her like this, and she said it was okay, so here we go. She's, she's like a man-eater, right? I think in her younger days, she, she just went through men because that's, that's what she wanted to do. That was her desire. She followed her passions and her desires, and she, it was very easy for her to get men. After all, she had five husbands, right? Um, 
But we see that her desires and passions that she used to benefit her became the very thing to enslave her. Because we see her alone at the well getting water. This was a job as a, of a slave. And she went there alone because there was times when everybody went to get water. And she waited for everybody to leave because she had that reputation. So she went alone as a slave to go get water for a man who was not her husband, who was simply using her. And so we, and Jesus takes pity on her. And he has compassion for her. A woman who made all the wrong choices and deserves everything that she got. Right? But Jesus still had compassion for her. And he speaks to her. And she immediately tries to dodge. She starts bringing up religion. Well, I don't know who as well this is. You know, Jews say to worship here, I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing talking to me? Right? But he honors her. He dignifies her. He looks her in the eye and says, woman, give me a, a drink. You know, probably wouldn't land the same way nowadays. But in that time, it was very dignified. <laughs> Um, and then he begins to question her. He doesn't start right off the bat with, this is what you've done, you know. But he, let, he brings her along. And he, he, he's, what he's trying to do, and there's always a strategy to the way Jesus talks to people. He's trying to restore her hope in something, in anything. And finally he comes to it. And he says, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. But it was after... She talked about a Messiah. And she said, oh, there is a Messiah. You must be a prophet or you're the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to know all things for all people. And she goes, oh, man, this might be you. And her hope is restored. There's a great metaphor in The Hobbit. And, uh, you know, these 12 dwarves are trying to get to this, this mountain. It has all this treasure in it. And there's this big dragon guarding it. But there's this key, and this key has been passed down through generations, and it's a key to a hidden door that nobody can see, and that's how they get in to the treasure and defeat the beast. I believe that there's a back door into everybody's heart, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus knows where that door is hidden and the key to get there. And it's going to take kindness, and it's going to take compassion. Brittany, if you want to come back up. All of this, this whole study, all of, all of that stuff I've been talking about has come out of a question and a discussion that I've had with a friend of mine. And it's, what is discipleship really? What are we asking of people? What are we requiring of people? Can we just say, do this and do that, and this is what your life should look like? Is it behavior modification? Is it manipulation? Is it a sales pitch? If so, Jesus would be the worst salesman in all of history. He told all of his followers that would probably die a horrible death. And in fact, all but one of them did. No. It is first and above all a devotional life. A life devoted to God and his kingdom. A life of obedience if even to the point of death, holding no comforts for our own, a life spending our feelings and emotions out for others, not keeping them for ourselves, speaking the truth 
in love. Being so in love that you speak the truth. Having integrity in word and action and choice. To live a life of this kind of devotion can only be lived by the indwelling of, of a holy God. And a holy God who has lived this life among men before. Jesus must live within us. Jesus must live through you and me. May we be empty vessels that the Lord God Almighty can inhabit and shine through. So that all the glory and all the honor may go to the one who has been so kind to you and to me.